Hey, it's Kayla. So I'm going to go over my notes on dyslipidemia um, for my test today. So I'll just go over those now since I need a refresher. And again, these are not going to be perfect. Uh, this will not cover everything you probably need to know, but hopefully it's helpful. And it should be a quick little um, episode, I guess. So might be nice. So so dyslipidemia, so I put hyperlipidemia is excess lipids. Dyslipidemia is a disorder of lipid metabolism. There would be increased cholesterol, increased LDL or triglycerides, and decreased HDL levels. And it's usually associated with atherosclerosis and coronary artery disease. Uh, premature CAD risk goes up with cholesterol levels, and we want an increased HDL level and a decreased LDL level. Um, let's see. So other stuff for CAD risk factors would be uh, cigarette smoking, obesity, having a sedentary lifestyle, old age, and type 1 or type 2 diabetes. And again, this is like children, so these are my Pete's notes. So I think these are just in general because um, those are the typical risk factors for coronary artery disease. Uh, lab levels, so there's a bunch here. So there would be a normal, so normal stuff. Let's go over normal stuff. So normal total cholesterol levels would be under 170. A borderline total cholesterol would be 170 to 199, and an elevated would be considered 200 or more. For LDL, so that's the low one, uh, low density lipoprotein, I believe, that would be a normal of under 110, a borderline from 110 to 120, and then elevated would be over 130. Non-HDL would be under 120. A borderline would be 120 to 144. And elevated would be over 145. And for HDL, it just says normal would be over 145. No, 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 over 45, not 145, 45. And there's no borderline level or elevated level because you want it to be higher because that type of cholesterol or lipoprotein helps move cholesterol to the liver to get digested. So you want that because it helps get rid of cholesterol. And for other risks that I put here for atherosclerosis would be uh, if you're a cancer survivor, if you've had chronic inflammatory disease, congenital heart disease, Kawasaki disease. Ather atherosclerosis can begin in childhood and there have been signs found in autopsies of kiddos with uh, lifestyle, diet, and exercise uh, would increase the risk for cardiovascular disease. So if you have a funky lifestyle with no good diet and you don't exercise, then that is a risk factor. Um, and then I put the vocabulary here for some stuff if anyone needs it. So there's LDL. So that is a decreased triglyceride concentration with increased cholesterol. Uh, the major carriers of cholesterol to the cells. 
cells use cholesterol to create steroids and membrane synthesis or promotes membrane synthesis. So it's not bad. It obviously has its good functions, but having too much is no good. There's HDL, so that's considered the good cholesterol. And that's when free cholesterol is sent to the liver, like I just mentioned. And it's secreted um, in bile. And it helps, uh, it's like a protective um, mechanism or whatever for cardiac disease. There are VLDL, so that's very low density lipoprotein. And it has increased triglyceride and a concentration of cholesterol and a little bit of protein. There's nothing else really that was mentioned in our reading. So if you want to learn more about VLDLs, Google it. And then there are chylomicrons. So those are transporters of dietary fat from intestine to the blood. And it's not usually in the blood after fasting about 10 to 12 hours. So you want people to fast for those labs, those uh, lipid panels. For a diagnosis um, or evaluation and screening, there's usually a blood test. And like I said, it's 10 to 12 hours, usually 12 hours or more. I used to tell patients 10 to 12. And then after reading in nursing school and stuff, I started reading that it's 12 to 14. So... It kind of depends. 12 or more. Just aim for that. Um, the lipid values can change based on illness. So if the patient had a fever within three weeks, they should not be taking their blood test because it might not be accurate. Okay, so for children, um, if they might be diagnosed with dyslipidemia if their cholesterol level is over 200 or their LDL is over 130. The triglyceride level would be under 100 in younger kids and under 130 in older kids. I had to record that like 15 times because I can't read my own notes. Um, and then the recommended screening would be from ages 9 to 11. They'd have to get screened at least once in that time period. And then also from 17 to 21. And... Family history is good only if it's accurate. So a lot of parents and family members don't really know their history. So that's why that note is there. Um, also, let's go on to therapeutic management. So just like in the hypertension episode, uh, lifestyle modification will be very important. We want to make sure diet is managed uh, with lots of fruits and veggies and whole grains. And we want to make sure they decrease their saturated and trans fats. Uh, one hour of vigorous exercise at least five days a week, which is also the same for hypertension. And uh, we want to decrease simple sugars because those will increase uh, triglycerides. So we don't want children to be drinking a whole bunch of sweet beverages. Uh, and then we want to increase monounsaturated fats, which would be like the fish and anything with uh, omega-3 fatty acids, which is probably usually fish. And it says fish oil might be beneficial. Pharmacological interventions. So there's a recommendation for medications if 10 years or older. Um, after six months of lifestyle modification does not work. So they need to do that first before even going on anything. 
The goal for LDL is below the 95th percentile, and it's preferably less than uh, 110 in volume. The medications used for dyslipidemia would usually be the statins, so, oh, and also bile acid sequestrants and cholesterol absorption inhibitors and nicotinic acid, but usually we just learn about the statins. But let's see. There is uh, bile acid sequestrants, which are the resin binders, and they bind bile acid to the intestinal lumen. And those would be cholesteramine and cholestipol. Cholestipol? Yeah. And it has a gritty texture. Side effects of these would be constipation, abdominal pain, GI bloating, flatulence, and nausea. They would usually take 4 gram TID, so 3 times a day, or 6 gram BID, so that is 2 times a day. There is cholecevalem, I am not sure if I'm saying that right, um, and that is also called velchcol, and that's 625 milligram tablets. You take two to three tablets BID, so again, two times a day. Children should take a multivitamin because of the impaired absorption of vitamins, and these ones are the statins, so I'm going on to statins now. So that's HMG-COA reductase inhibitors, also known as statins. These are best if taken in the evening. It's recommended for 10 years or older by the FDA. The AST, ALT, and CK um, should be drawn uh, as well as a fasted, fasting lipid before taking the medication. I believe these would also be taken if uh, they're continuously taking these medications. Severe side effects would be rhabdomyolysis, um, and there's also, it could cause renal disease. Oh, rhabdomyolysis can cause renal disease, which increases or causes muscle aches and dark urine, and you don't want to take these when you're pregnant. Then there is azetimabine. <laughs> Ezetimabine, and it inhibits cholesterol absorption. It prevents the GI and intestines from absorbing cholesterol, and it's also taken 10 years and older. So um, I've seen a couple of our patients in the pediatric unit taking um, statins or other medications, and they're definitely under 10 years old. So that's under the discretion of the primary care provider or whoever is helping this patient. And if they feel like it's necessary, and then they'll determine the dose based on guidelines and stuff. So if you see those and you're like, oh, but they're over 10 years old, it's, eh, it just kind of depends. But these are the FDA guidelines generally uh, for these medications. Because I guess there's not enough, um, you know, research to show that these are really effective or not, I guess. And lastly, I believe, yep, lastly for nursing care, this one's really quick. Um, so you want to prepare the patient and family. So you want to let them know what's going on with them, what they should do, education, education, education. And uh, you want to make sure you can change or talk to them about any modifiable risk factors. So again, that's like diet, exercise, 
how their lifestyle is, things like that. And if they can make those changes and then they see a decrease in their lipids, then then that's great. And then they don't have to go on medication. Um, you also want to um, inform them about the side effects of drugs and any other risk factors that might uh, come with dyslipidemia. And you want to have them probably watch and record their diet and possibly referrals if necessary, like if they really need it or they decide, like some adult patients maybe, they will say, I don't want to go on a statin even though they might really need to. And then they do six months or whatever of their lifestyle modifications and their levels do not get lower. Then they could tell their doctor, like, hey, I still don't want to go on a statin. Then they're usually referred to a dietitian or nutritionist or something. So there are resources out there for patients, not only adults, but for children too. So um, that's all I have here for dyslipidemia. Um, it's a quick little episode, and I hope it helps. And again, please read your book because I am not going to teach you everything you need to know, but I hope this helps. Thank you.